Another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is the Dazzling Duo, Derek and Mike. And joining us tonight, uh, director of City of Gold, but has also got a long resume behind them of special effects and, and other great stuff in the Marvel world, uh, is Harry Locke the Fourth. Uh, how you doing, Harry? Doing good, my friend. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Really appreciate it. Not a problem. So tell us a little bit about City of Gold. Yeah, sure. It's, a, it's a, my first directorial debut, first big feature film that I had the opportunity to do. Uh, it was written by, written and produced by Ronald Blum, who actually wrote this script 20 years ago um, as an action adventure that he, you know, kind of envisioned you know, during that whole time coming out of like Indiana Jones movies and, you know, all the movies we kind of grew up loving, that genre of action adventure. And it took him 20 years of, of, of kind of developing, working with different production companies and finally just deciding you know, he was going to make the movie himself. And he knew Robbie Allen, who was an actor that I worked with. And Robbie and I had did a, a short film. It was a fan film, a Hellblazer short film uh. that he saw and, and loved. And yeah, it's actually available on YouTube. If anybody wants to check that out, it's called Hellblazer, uh, John Constantine. And you'll see that was the first short film, first piece of work that I did with Robbie. And it got online, had a lot of good success, had a lot of good views, a lot of comic book sites picked it up. And Ron really liked what we did in that short piece. And he was like, hey, I've got this action adventure script that's kind of in the same vein, kind of the same taste as what you did there. Uh, would love to bring you on board as director. And I was graduating from film school and like most people getting out of college with no job lined up. I was like, yeah, I literally have nothing else lined up. So, of course, I will take <laughs> the script in and make this this feature film. This sounds like a great opportunity. And of course it was. Uh... <laughs> My computer's taking a mind of its own. <laughs> Sorry about that. But the, the, sad, the sad part is, oh, at, at least in post, I could cut that out. And all these listeners are going, yeah, cut is, what out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so uh, that's kind of how, how, how I got looped into the uh, looped into bringing on with uh, bringing on board with uh, with that film with City of Gold. Okay. So, what is City? Actually, Derek, I interrupt you because you had it. I was just going to say. So, is this is this is um, an action type movie, action adventure? Or? Yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit of a genre uh, bending movie because we've got some action, we've got adventure, and it's even got some thriller elements the, the story itself focuses on this media magnet who we are introduced to as clearly troubled and has these psychological issues that are haunting him and in the mm. outset of the movie we kind of see that he's this he enjoys these weird sadopistic uh sadomasochistic tendencies and he's got this very strange relationship with his father and in the outset of the film we actually find that his father commits suicide this actually pushes his father into committing suicide and we see that the son is haunted by these same demons and the father is played by christopher atkins who of course is golden globe nominee uh, one of the one of the experienced veteran actors we've had on set, and uh, Robbie Allen, who plays the lead actor and the lead character of the of the movie, is the son. And kind of the fallout of what ends up happening from that father's suicide is he's being 
kind of criticized by the media for his own his own weird tendencies and uh, the stuff that they know that his father was kind of involved with. It, it, it's kind of right with this whole Me Too era that's happening as well. We've it, It's a little bit of an exploration of that. We've fallen out of that kind of character. And he decides he needs to kind of exile himself. He needs to kind of get away uh, from Los Angeles. And he reconnects with his estranged girlfriend, who's played by Riley Dandy, a character named Elizabeth Carlyle, in which she is looking for this artist who is in Peru, this reclusive artist who she's discovered his work, she's discovered his art, and she really wants to bring him to America and kind of um, unveil his work to the world, kind of give him a larger audience. And John Davenport, the lead character, he kind of sees this as an opportunity to to get away from it all, travel a little bit, kind of be with a be, be with a friend, and and help her with her quest. Of course, when they get over there, everything kind of goes sideways. This artist that they're trying to rescue is actually uh, surrounded in rebel territory. And they end up getting entrenched in this whole guerrilla warfare uh, that's going on in the jungle. As John is progressing through all this, this action and, and all these different elements that are going on, we find out that he actually has this cursed lineage with uh, kind of that's connected with the land. He's connected with one of the grand Spanish inquisitors, who's played by Vernon Wells. And we see, as he kind of goes to his adventure, that his fate is intertwined with that of his great ancestral father, all the things, the demons that are kind of haunting him and all the different elements that he's going through, all these things are connected between the past and the present. And through that dual kind of storyline, we have these, this blending of genres where you kind of get this horror element as we explore the psychological horrors that are in John's head. And we also see the adventure movie that he kind of lives through as he's trying to rescue, help rescue this artist and get him out of a uh, gorilla, out of the warfare that's happening that he's entrapped in. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, tell us about some of the cast that you have in this uh, besides Robbie Allen. Yeah. So uh, I think we mentioned uh, Christopher Atkins, who was originally in the Blue Lagoon and was the youngest yeah. Golden Globe nominee in film history at the time when that, when that he still might actually hold that record. I'm not sure. Um, but he plays the father uh, character in the, in the, in the movie. Um, we also have Vernon Wells, who plays the Grand Inquisitor. You know, you guys will recognize Vernon Wells from Mad Max, uh, uh, Commando, uh, Power Rangers. For the Power Ranger fans out there, he was classic yeah. in that series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people. People love him as that character. Um, and then Branscombe Richmond, who was in Renegade as Bobby Six Killer, and another one of those guys you see that people instantly recognize when he pops up on screen. He plays Shinnikai, who is this mystical kind of shaman who leads this group of mercenaries that is the guide for our heroes as they go through the jungle. And so we kind of take that experienced group, the veteran group of actors, and we mix them with some of these fresh faces. Uh, you know, Robbie, as we mentioned, who plays the lead character, John Davenport. Uh, Riley Dandy, who is really blossoming blossoming into a strong actress on her own. She's done a lot of commercial work. Um, and she's got so, a couple of new feature films coming out on the horizon. She plays his love interest in Elizabeth Carlyle. And we have John Charles Meyer, who plays the reclusive artist. Uh, John, besides just being a fantastic actor, is also a, a great producer. He actually just released a movie called Dave Made a Maze, which has really been tearing it up out there in the, in the media and with sales. And he was the producer on that. So we were really fortunate to have him on set. And then the rest of the characters, we all cast it over in, in Maui, on, on, on location in Hawaii. And we got to work with a lot of the locals in what was really their uh, 
first feature film endeavor, uh, which was really great to kind of have them on set and, and have their energy because they were so excited to be a part of it. And uh, they were so supportive of what we were doing. It really helped us keep a high morale on set. It was really awesome to have. That's, oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Mission. Uh, Christopher Atkins, it, it, how how tempted were you to ask all those questions you wanted to about Blue Lagoon and Brooke Shields? <laughs> you know what? If, if we had if we had more time on set, I probably would have really got into it with him. But it was one of those things where uh, you know Christopher is the consummate uh, professional, and you know when he got to set, it was really it was really interesting because he had so many good questions about the character, you know, and you really get to see okay, this is why this guy is like a Golden Globe nominee nominated actor and why he's had such a long career is because he was really thinking outside the box um, as, you know, okay, well, why would my character do this? How would he feel this way? Right. Um, and it was just a really awesome experience, especially for me you know, as a young director to be working with an actor like that and, you know, him taking what I'm saying seriously. You can really see him digesting the information um, and you would see how he would make those changes, you know, on set. And it was, it was just a blast. Um, it was a blast to work with him. You know, I told my, I told my mom, oh, we got the guy from Blue Lagoon, you know, in the movie. And she's like, oh, he still has that look. He still has that boyish look to him. So it's, it's, that guy has aged very well. Uh, and it was awesome to have him on set. He was great. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, sounds like it'd be a fun set to work on too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, shooting in Maui, it's, uh, you know, you can definitely, you can't do much worse, you know, than shooting yeah. <laughs> in a movie in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so was it the whole movie shot in Hawaii? We did the bulk of the days in uh, Maui, Hawaii. We did we did 12 days there, and we were there for like 14 days total doing the prep and the location scout uh, with, uh, with the tech crew, and then we did 12 days straight of shooting, came back, uh, took a small hiatus, and then we did uh, five days in Los Angeles uh, to fill out the whole kind of beginning part of the movie where we're with John Davenport and kind of his media empire and the fallout of the father's death. That all takes place in L.A. and we shot that here. Oh, nice. Yeah. What's been with City of Gold? What's probably been one, one of those moments of I can't believe we got that? Yeah, you, you know, I think the whole the whole pre-production process leading up to, you know, there's so many elements um, that go into making the movie before, you know, you get to camera speeding and action and cut. There's just so much that leads up to it that I, by the time we finally got to our first day, you know, I, I remember it was like this, you know, ethereal moment where, you know, my DP was ready. You know, we were calling the shot and we were doing the first take of the movie and I looked to my left and I see Brian Scott Richmond, you know, he was a guy that I grew up watching Renegade with my father, you know, and like now here he actually physically is on the set. It's always this weird, this weird feeling, right? When you see an actor that you've grown up watching on television and now they're like physically in front of you, there's always like this weird kind of transition that happens where it's like, okay, this is like, this is really happening. We're really here. Um, and we were shooting the, the first scene. It was like all these things finally came together. Um, and especially for me, this combination of 12 years prior to of doing, you know, just really indie guerrilla cinema, running around, making stuff with my friends, 
um, you know, just small stuff like that to really being on a set like that with a real crew, you know, a real cast, and we're making this really epic level movie. It was really a moment for me to sit back and say, wow, I can't believe we're here. You know, we're shooting this in Maui with some of my favorite actors that I grew up with. Um, you know, the, the whole thing for me was just a surreal moment from beginning to end. <sighs> Now, did did you and Ronald share the same vision for the film, or or was there, um, or, or did you give more to what he was wanting and sacrifice a little bit of what you wanted to do? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I absolutely went in terms of the script from when we began developing it uh, into the actual, you know, shoot that would happen. I was all, always from the beginning eternally grateful for the opportunity that Ronald was giving me. Of okay, I'm taking this guy who's you know pretty much fresh out of film school and, you know, giving him the opportunity to write the script that I've been developing for 20 years. So for me, the, the biggest thing was I always wanted to make sure he was happy, you know, at the end of the day that he could look at this movie and say, okay, you know, it was worth the wait. Um, and I do see, you know, the story that I've been trying to tell for the past two decades in this movie. Uh, but the flip side to that, and what was actually very beneficial, is that Ron was not, unlike a lot of writers, you know, who can very be, be very greedy about it has to be this way and the dialogue has to be this way. Um, mm -hmm. Ron was never that way with me. He gave me a lot of freedom. Um, and, and we worked together, you know, a lot to really develop uh, with our resources of saying, okay, well, you know what? Why don't we just do, why don't we change the character arc a little bit this way? Why don't we add a little bit more of this, change this dialogue? He gave me a lot of freedom to play with. Um, and I think that made the process uh, really smooth for the both of us when there was really never a moment where we were knocking heads at each other, at, you know, at each other saying, oh, you know, I'm not getting my way or he's not doing what I envisioned. It was really this kind of mutual process of let's just make the best movie we can make with the resources we have available. And I think for the most part, we were speaking the same language. You know, there was never really a moment where I threw out an idea that he kind of looked at me like, you know, are you crazy? And, you know, vice versa. You know, he never really said something to me where I was like, you know, there's absolutely no way we're going to do that. Um, you know, it was, it was a really good, our, our, our creative DNA were, were pretty compatible. Uh, and that made making the movie, you know, far easier than had I been working with someone who really had an ironclad grip on what they wanted the material to be. I don't know if I would be that lucky again, you know, directing someone else's um, material. <laughs> oh, yeah, you might have got spoiled. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I know. It might, might have set me up for failure. <laughs> That sounds like a, that sounds really cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Absolutely, thank you, thank you. What what's been one of those moments of uh, I guess worst moment on set or a moment that if you could take back? Well, if, if I could control the weather, I think the one ah. moment would be you know being ready. You know, obviously Hawaii being a tropical island has some pretty unpredictable um, <laughs> weather patterns. And and one of the nights we had a night planned and um, it was raining. It was raining like hard. And yeah. you know, our, 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 our grip and gaffer that we had, those guys were so like, you know, so ready to be like, okay, so what do we need to do? 
Like, we'll move the lights out. You know, me and Ron are looking at each other like, oh, my God, like, these guys are going to get, like, electrocuted. Like, we can't. We got to shut this down. So we both made the call. of like, okay, we will, we will, you know, let's, let's, let's wrap early, um, you know, and we'll figure it out, you know, we'll figure out another game plan. And, of course, generally, if, if you kind of have the days that allow for that amount of shooting, you, you, you make a cover set, you know, so that you can kind of move it to another day and do the pickup. But everything was our schedule very tight, you know, so we had certain locations. We knew we only had them for two days or three days. Um, and, you know, when we got rained out of that one location, it was a situation where we're like, okay, we're going to have to figure out how to do that back in Los Angeles, uh, which actually led to a very, a very interesting shoot in which uh, we ended up getting, to, we, we rented out a, a small sound stage um, that one of our friends had access to. And Ron found this greenery place uh, that had all these different trees and ferns and things like that. And we, we took this small sound stage and built like a miniature jungle inside of it. To oh, that's cool. The pickups. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was, it was really cool. We moved all these greens in, and uh, you know, every time I call the scene out uh, to people when they're watching the movie, they're like, "No way, no way!" You shot that in a soundstage. I was like, "Yeah," and we shot <laughs> that whole thing in a in a soundstage, which is moving the greens around and, and making the actor, you know, stand a certain way to make it look like he was coming out of a lush area of the jungle. Um, so it, it, we took something that was probably the worst moment, uh, a really, you know, oh, what are we gonna do moment, and actually turned it into something. That was a really memorable um, shoot. You know, and I think we, we kind of took away of, you know, just keep your options open. You know, you might get defeated on the day. You, know, you might lose the battle, but don't lose the war. You know, that kind of, kind of mentality, um, especially when you're making movies, you know, these kind of low budget movies, you have to be creative. You can't let the situation put you down or you'll never make it to the finish line. But I like that because I think it I think it allows you to um, kind of use your creativity more more than you might in like a, a big budget movie where everything is is um, more easily handled for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, you, you really you really keep your head kind of on a swivel, you know, making sure, you know, um, you know, it's not just as easy as we're just going to drop money on this this issue to fix it. You know, you really have to use your critical thinking skills to, to pull it off. Right. And it sounds like sounds like you uh, you might have learned some stuff too doing this movie. Oh, you, absolutely. Can... I mean, yeah, that's like that. That's probably a whole nother. We could do a whole podcast of just lessons learned. You know, of, uh, <laughs> we could definitely do a whole special on that. I got tons of them for you guys of, uh, of, of lessons. So when you guys go make your movie, uh, you know, get in touch with me. I'll 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 I'll, I'll give you a clinic. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, it's kind of what we talked about though, is you, know, you have to just be ready for the unexpected, um, mm. and, and know that Murphy's law is surrounding your every move, you know, and just be ready to, to overcome it, you know, just be ready to kind of counter it. And also, you know, everybody's looking at the director for, to make sure everything is going good, you know, so if things are going wrong and as a director, if you're kind of pulling your hair out and you're looking like it's the end of the world, that, that is contagious, you know, and that will leach to the rest of the set. So you always want to make sure if there's a um, okay, we'll figure it out. You know, let's not get bogged down by this. Let's keep morale high and let's keep making a great product. You know, that's so huge. Um, mm. You know, especially as a director. You know, to make sure everyone is 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 feeling confident in what they're doing. That's actually that's a good life lesson. Yeah. Let alone a movie. Yeah. On, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. No matter what I think you're doing in life, that's probably yeah. That 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 can be applied to basically every category. <laughs> <laughs> now, when when is City of Gold expected to be released? So, City of Gold uh, comes out in the U.S. on December fourth. Bod going to be out on iTunes, Amazon, Xbox, Google Play, and actually a host of other platforms as well. But that, those are the main four that I know it's going to be released on. And then January 1st, the physical DVD comes out in major retailers and Redbox. So you'll oh, sweet. pick up a, a physical cool. copy. Yeah it's, 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 yeah, it's actually cool. I didn't even know this so good DVD release. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. great. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about that physical release. And it's actually already out in the UK. It actually came out in the UK in August. Um, same thing on DOD and DVD. And uh, that's actually been really cool because I've seen, you know, I typed the hashtag, um, you know, it's actually called the Lost City of Gold in the UK. And I remember, you know, typing hashtag Lost City of Gold and seeing people snapping pictures of the DVD box in like UK stores. And I was like, wow, we're, we're out there overseas. You know, it's, it was a really cool uh, feeling to say, okay, we, we have a movie that's actually out in a wide spectrum of places. So we're really excited to see how the movie is received. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. got to be a great feeling. What, why is it yeah. in the UK it had to go with Lost City of Gold instead of City of Gold. Yeah, they, I think they, they all all the territories do their own little spin um, on the title. You know, in the UK, the UK it was released to a different distributor out there called High Flyers Pictures, um, and they actually came out with the title Lost City of Gold, and then. We found out our U.S. distributor came out with City of Gold. They didn't even talk to each other. Um, you know, the original yeah. working title of the film was Inquisitor. And so basically what they ended up doing was they're like, well, the problem with the title Inquisitor, even though it's cool, is that this translates to nothing in the foreign territories. You know, we'll go to the Chinese <laughs> market and say, we have a film called Inquisitor. And they're like, what is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> we have no idea what an Inquisitor is. But City of Gold or telling them it's about El Dorado, obviously that. Um, everyone gets the gist of that kind of adventure. And so it was interesting that both distributors decided to make it, um, you know, a more, a, a more, I guess, broad title with City of Gold, but they also picked similar titles. You know, they were just only a couple of words off from each other, which was really interesting to see. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How that, how that works out like that. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I know it's also, I, I know it also already has release a schedule with Germany. Um, and I, I believe South Korea is another territory too, that we've already got releases scheduled with. So, you know, we'll see what it gets called, you know, out there, golden cities or, you know, lost golden cities, or we'll see what happens. <laughs> Hopefully they're kind of all in the same spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> now, what projects do you have coming up next that you're working on? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So right now I'm working on a, a, a Western short film. It's a proof of concept um, that actually got born out of an idea of we wanted to do a dark kind of reimagination of the Lone Ranger character. Ooh, and so I like we that. Kind of, yeah, 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 right? So my, my Bobby, who plays you know, the lead in uh, City of Gold and, and Hellblazer, we would always find ourselves talking every now and again about doing this like gritty Lone Ranger um, reboot and we kind of wanted to do one originally as a proof of concept and as we started working on the script we, or we realized it was like okay this is kind of taking on a life of its own this is kind of like a whole new character we should make it our own original thing and so out of that was birthed this film that's called The Redeemer which we're shooting now and it focuses on this this lawman who's actually born into a 
dynasties. His biological father is one of these, one of the greatest outlaws uh, to ever ride the West. This ruthless kind of criminal, and he abandons his son at a young age. And the son ends up getting adopted by a family of lawmen and is raised to the tune of justice. And when he becomes a grown man, he decides to take on the badge and he becomes this U.S. Marshal. Of course, when he does that, that puts him on this collision course with his with his blood father. And so now, in order for him to hunt down these outlaws, basically hunt him down his own family. So he's got this whole tension where he's trying to follow justice, the right law thing, but he's also going to go up against his own flesh and blood. Okay. Oh, that sounds really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So we're shooting on three days. We're heading up to Northern California. Oh, man, we're going to be shooting up there. Uh, my wife's a producer on it, and one of my longtime collaborators, another guy named Alan, is also a producer, and they're helping me get this vision from concept to concrete and all the first second balls uh, that goes into that. Well, looking at, well, not looking back. Look, I will, okay. Yeah, looking back at the email that we got from, from Clint, uh, uh-huh. This is something that you know, we want to talk to you about over on my Marvel show. Let's talk a little bit here, yeah. though, on what you did with uh, X-Men Apocalypse and Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, it's Days of Future Past that I worked on. I, I that's right. To work I'm sorry. Apocalypse, which is probably a good thing uh, from the way that movie <laughs> 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 I, worked, I worked on the good one. I worked on the good one. <laughs> yeah, I love Days of Future Past. Well, Days like, of Future Past, I think, turned out, turned out great. Yeah, uh, like I said before, show I wanted to get that clarification before I I botched something up, and of course, hey, we went almost forty, about twenty five, thirty minutes before I botched something up. Well, yeah, yeah, no, 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 you, you, and it was you rounding up on it. You know, you were close. It's all good. So. Hey, I got the X Men part right. Yeah, there you go. That's all that matters. That's really it's all, all right. that matters. Um, it's all right, Mike. We know anyway, that uh, Apocalypse was your favorite. It wasn't the Brett Ragger X-Men, so, you know. Oh, yeah. You didn't mess up that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last stand, yeah. I hope, I hope he's not listening. I hope Brett Ragger's not listening to this. Uh, I doubt uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he knows what he did. <laughs> yeah, right. He knows his sins, and he knows what he must do to atone, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but yeah no with, with those movies I I had I, I actually got the opportunity to work with them as a VFX assistant. Um, interestingly, I was actually doing it while I was attending school full time at USC. Um, so it was literally like I would run out of class, I'd run down to the uh, the Fox post production uh, facilities, and you know literally would get out of class, and then you go and I considered it real class because you were there learning you know in a real world scenario on a big budget film, and right, you know got job, to see yeah. on the exactly and and got to see how you know studio films, blockbuster films are really what kind of gravitated me to the industry in the first place. Um, so to be able to sit there and learn and watch Brian Singer, you know, piece together this epic, you know, when I first started working there, they were just doing the previs. I remember it was, it was at the time, um, Matt Vaughn had actually just left the project and he went to go what would eventually be Kingsman and, right. uh, Brian Singer replaced him on that pro on that project. And, uh, you know, I remember being involved in the opening meetings and actually getting to meet Brian and, uh, you know, seeing how that came together, uh, you know, I learned a lot. You know, I think I was 20 or 21 uh, when that was happening. I just, you know, I moved out uh, to California 
from the Midwest. I was born and raised in Chicago, and I used to do my undergrad at Ohio State. So pretty much just Midwestern raised, you know, my whole life. And then to be out there, you know, in Hollywood, and you're watching Brian Singer, and you're seeing guys like uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen on set, and you're like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. okay, we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, uh-huh. it's, like, it's like we're really here, you know. Um, and it was a great experience. I mean, obviously, it was really challenging doing that and doing school full-time, but the lessons that I learned um, working on both those movies were, you know, still resonate now. You know, when, I, when I'm when i doing post-production on my movies and we're doing the whole VFX workflow, everything I know is from what I did on those movies, you know, so I'm still using um, that knowledge. And, you know, people now, they reach out to me because they know I've worked in those movies and say, hey, hey, Harry, we're prepping VFX stuff that's going out to this studio and this and that, what do we do? And I was like, well, I remember when we were doing this for Brian and we did X, Y, and Z, you know, so it's like those lessons um, have, will probably stick with me for the rest of my career. Awesome. Yeah, yeah now, what a way to learn, too. Yeah. yeah. Now, what, what was it like being on the set of Wolverine, then? I got to see uh, the soundstage stuff they did for Days of Future Past. Uh, my involvement with Wolverine was actually really interesting because I was working on uh, Days of Future Past, and what they needed was someone to help do graphic design elements uh, for, and I, I can't remember the character's name now, but there's the, the Japanese business mogul. Um, it's like oh. Yamashiro or, you know, I forget his, yeah. I forget his name. Yeah, um, I do too. But he's like the big, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Know he's like the big business yeah, guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they got all the company logos in there. Um, and they needed that logo applied to like billboards and a bunch of different things for the scene where when Logan arrives in Tokyo and they're kind of taking him through the city and he sees the logo is all around the city and this guy owns a lot of property. Um, they needed someone to help design all these elements. I remember, I think we must have designed 150 different elements mm-hmm. for that scene. I, I finally saw the movie. And I, I was like, cool, three of them made it in. <laughs> you know, out of all the, the hundreds that we made. I remember like, around Christmas, so everybody's trying to, you know, everybody's trying to get out, you know, to go see family for the holidays. And it was one of those things where I was like, you know, how many of these are they actually going to use? And I remember my supervisor yeah. was like, man, you'll be lucky if you see half of this design in the movie. <laughs> so it was still cool to see it in there. I was like, oh man, I remember when we did that. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely made so many elements uh, in that that um, you know, as most big movies like that do, they end up on the cutting floor. Um, but again, it was another great it was another great learning experience, and um, you know, got a chance to see that movie come together. Got a chance to see that before everybody else did, and all my friends were super excited for that to come out. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's gonna be it's better than the first one. <laughs> Like it's better than the first Wolverine movie. I can tell you guys that much. <laughs> mm, well, you know, not that that was not that it was necessarily hard, but you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> not like it took much. <laughs> yeah, but still, yeah, it was it was that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. that that's that's definitely um well, for me personally, that would be something I'd love. You know, if I were in your situation, that would be like the the types of movies I'd love to see and work on too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's it it, it, it it definitely makes all the hours you spend, you know, in the post facility worthwhile to see it come out. And you know, because those are the movies that all your friends, and family are gonna go see. You know, right. and so for them, yeah. as much as I love my indies that I work on, because I've worked with some great indie films, you know, it's something magical about those big blockbusters. 
you know, when they're out and you see them killing it on the charts and, you know, you see everybody posting on Facebook about it. And it's like, hey, I had a little part to do with that. You know, I'm not right, yeah, hey, I'm right. as great as the director, but I'm like, hey, a little bit of me is in, you know, that six figure, you know, multi-million dollar movie. Um, you know, it'd be nice to see all those multi-million dollars, you know, someday. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, did, I, did, I didn't. I didn't think Wolverine was that bad either. No, it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. The first two acts are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolverine are great. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's the stuff with uh, Silver Samurai at the end that it's like, okay, something you're you're breaking your own inconsistent your your own continuity yeah. with this. Yeah, that, that made really that hard. Yeah, with that movie, I feel like you can see um, where the studio put in its influence. Because up until yes. that point, it was this more grounded, um, yes, yep. you know, yeah. more grounded fare. You were really kind of getting to intimately know the Logan character. You know, it, 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 I think the studio realized the mistake they made with that. Because you look at Logan, and I feel Logan was the movie they wanted to make, you know, that, that style of really grounded, um, you know, grittiness. Because James Van Gogh, I mean, you look at his movies he does these really great character works you know big visual effects pieces are not something that he's really known for you know he's more known for these grounded um dramas and you know right. you Logan, they really gave him full control to do with what he wanted to do you know i, I remember watching um it was the cut before the final and you know we were all into it and you know not all the departments know what each other are working on so i had no idea in the third act there was going to be the robot samurai and i was like does this not seem weird to anybody else <laughs> I think I think the one continuity that that ruined it for me is they talk about the sword and it's like you no know, you got to hold it with both hands in order for it to heat up and then all of a sudden in one scene he's holding it one hand and it's heating up I'm like yeah, where, yeah. where's the second hand at I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that's one that's one of those things I think they really put it in there because they're like you know what the trailer is gonna look awesome. <laughs> oh, and yeah, like, yeah. You know, you know it was, the trailer was going to look great. And I don't think they really cared about what that did to the flow of the movie. Right. You know, which is why you're getting all those weird continuity things, and even just the fact that it even exists. Um, you know, I think the movie could have did without that and been far, far more effective. Yeah. You know, so luckily we didn't see any, you know, major robot things pop up in Logan. I thought Logan was a pretty complete movie. I thought they did a great job with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah. uh, like you said, like you said, the first the first two acts of, of uh, Wolverine were really, really good, too. Yeah. Yeah. I was really. So, yeah. I really loved that. Part of yeah, yeah, you're really into it. You're really mm -hmm. like kind of connected with his journey, you know. Right. Yeah. Now, outside of the Marvel films, outside of City of Gold and and Redeemer, what's what's been one of your other favorite projects that you've worked on? Uh, well, you know, right now I'm actually, um, you know, I do a lot of, I work as a colorist, a digital colorist on a lot of projects. And uh, actually just this, this this past year, I worked on a film called Icarus, which won the Academy Award for Best Documentary um, in 2018. And that was about exposing the whole Russian doping scandal um, and how the fact oh. that Russia basically never. Yeah, yeah, you probably heard of it. It's on Netflix. It's, uh, I've heard of it, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard of it. You, you got to check it out. The, the, the movie's crazy because um, from, from 
everything. And then basically the, the director, uh, Brian Fogle, started out with this question of, you know, looking at Lance Armstrong and how he was basically, you know, we found out he was doping through the Tour de France. And, and Brian, the director, was kind of an amateur or a hobbyist uh, uh, cyclist in competitions. And he originally started out asking the question, if I was to dope myself like Lance Armstrong, could I also compete at that level? And so he actually, in the first half of the movie, you see this guy, he's doing the whole regiment. He's doing the whole steroid regiment. Um, he's getting ready to kind of compete in this in this, in this this competition. And the doctor who is who is basically helping him with his regiment, who is basically helping him with the schedule, we actually find out it's the guy that created the entire doping program for Russia. So halfway through making this movie, it, it turns sideways and the guy's like, hey, Putin's trying to kill me. I got to get out of Russia. And, and, and it basically goes in a whole different direction where this guy now is exposing that Russia has basically never competed clean in the Olympics. Um, and even his own friend, one of his colleagues, you know, mysteriously dies as people tend to do in Russia when they don't agree with Putin. Um, and they mm-hmm. have to get him out to the U.S. and he goes through this whole adventure of exposing uh, what's going on. It was, it, was, it was this really crazy journey of, you know, watching the movie come together. You know, it, it premiered at Sundance. I remember finding out the movie had gotten into Sundance and then the rush we had to do to get it, you know, completed. And literally we finished, we made the last edit to the movie about six hours prior to at Sundance premiere. Huh. We finished the wow. edit the movie, made the screen of DCP, the editor hopped the plane, flew to Utah, and screened the movie. It was insane, intense. Uh, and then the fact yeah. that like a week later, that movie got bought for like $5 million, I think from Netflix, it was like the most spent on a documentary ever. Um, mm-hmm. And then Netflix did an exclusive release, really did a huge awards campaign for it. And a year later, you know, we're watching the Academy Awards and they say Icarus is the winner for Best Documentary. So that was what I got to see from the beginning all the way through an Oscar victory, you know, which was a really crazy um, journey to be a part of. And that's just, just like kind of working on the studio films. Like you learn so much. All those decisions that are literally made at the 11th hour um, wow. were just crazy to witness you know, uh, witness that coming together. Who are some of your influences to, to join this crazy entertainment world? Um, and, and I say that as a peer because I myself am also in the entertainment industry. Um, currently, yes. I, I work as an audio engineer at a local theme park here in Orlando, which, awesome. okay, uh, you know, I, I, I keep saying that, but yet people know I work for Disney, so. Um, yeah, I know. I wonder what it could be. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's there's only one theme park here in Orlando, right? I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Universal doesn't have anything here, do they? Right. And, yeah. And I mean, after yeah, and after no, Blackfish, and after Blackfish, right. SeaWorld. Oh, yeah kind of hurt mm, yeah um but yeah, yeah I, but I, i've been in, I, I started off in the theater world and um mm-hmm. you know and I've, I've been in the business 30 something years uh, 32 years i think awesome. it is um yeah so who were who some of the influences uh for you to, to get you into into the business you know i always say this to everybody they laugh uh when i say but they say the first movie that made me want to make movies was that 1995 mortal Kombat movie okay and i remember <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> I was not expecting that. I know you weren't expecting that. I was going to say something really high in 
fight, like, I'll put this or, or uh, you know. <laughs> no, I'm going to be real with you. It was the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie. I remember being in the theater with all my friends and just kind of the magic of how we were, like, just engrossed in that movie and how it kind of just ruled our lives, you know, like, the year yeah, after sure. we got out of that theater seeing that movie. I was like, you know what? How do you do that for a living? How do you go and you make a movie and you make these cool characters and you build these worlds and and people just you know live and and live and breathe these franchises like who, how do you make that a job you know and that kind of started started as my first interest as wanting to be um, as wanting to be a filmmaker and my parents even though they weren't really into creative jobs you know they my mother was a nurse and my my father was a lab technician at a steel mill they, they had That's these cool. really creative uh, tendency and that let me be in the arts they let they, they wanted me to get all that exposure you know I was in the theater groups and I was in um, music performance and all these things. And once I got to high school, I started fooling around with the video camera with my friends. I realized, okay, this is kind of a culmination of all these artistic things. You know, it's all this right. kind of hybrid of all these different things and you can bring all these things together and that's what makes a good movie. I think that's when I started taking it serious and I saying, okay, who are the best that ever did it? And why are they the best that ever did it? And I was looking at uh, Luc Besson and, and fell in love with like Leon the Professional and the film mm-hmm. Nikita um, and a lot of Ridley Scott's work, um, you know, and obviously Christopher Nolan is, is, you know, probably my favorite that's working today. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yes. I really started to look at what made their movies great, you know, and why they are so revered and why they're so renowned and, and what makes good cinema. Um, right. That really became important to me. But yeah, no, in the beginning, it was really just kind of like the, the fun, fun factor of it. It's like, this is awesome. You know, you got these characters and they're, you know, they're doing all these crazy things. And, you know, we remember those things. We remember that pop culture. You know, I, I, I took a trip to, to, to Tokyo back in uh, January. I was on a project where we were doing this small dock project in, in Japan. And, you know, here I am, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away from the U.S., especially the first time I ever left American soil. And, you know, the one connecting factor, you know, besides sports apparel that I was wearing was always the movies. You know, it's always, <laughs> you know, they recognize a certain movie. It's, it, it, it's, inner, it's universal. You know, no matter what language you speak, people love good movies. You know, and that's all awesome. right. That's an awesome oh, yeah. experience to be a part of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, obviously, this is going to age me. Uh, for me, it was Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I having well, yeah, been, no one can ever fault you for that though. <laughs> well, ha- having having been to three Star Wars celebrations, and Ben Burr was at the first two that I went to. Uh, I actually had the pleasure yeah. of meeting with him and, and getting to chat with him briefly. Uh, and it was so cool mm-hmm. going with that. You know, hey, because yeah. of you, I'm in this industry. It went from celebrity right. fan to that balance of, okay, now we can talk peer to peer. And it's a whole different relationship right. with the conversation, Absolutely. a whole different chemistry. And it, Absolutely. And, and that, was, that was so much fun and to, to have. And Yeah. You know, it's, it's awesome when they look at you and they realize, oh, this isn't just like, you know, a fan. This is someone who actually helps bring these projects I'm a part of into reality. You know, they definitely give you a whole other level of gravity, you know, when you're communicating with them. And it's an all, I know what you mean. It's an awesome experience yeah. to kind of in some way be on their same wavelength, you know? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I know we talked about Redeemer. We talked about City of Gold, uh, a little bit mm-hmm. of the, the Marvel stuff. Um, are we missing anything? <laughs> I'm, I'm willing and open. Anything you got, throw it at me. <laughs> hmm. Your opinion on Urban Meyer, just kidding. <laughs> 
Sorry, living in Florida, how, how can I how can I not throw that in there? Oh my God! Well, you know that's uh, he's a controversial figure now, isn't he? Well, I mean, you guys are in Florida, right? So I guess he was already controversial with you guys in the first well, place. I'm in Florida. Uh, Derek's in, in the Boston area. Okay, okay. So okay. yeah, we're we're all over the place. It's the world's longest table. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. Can we get a Guinness? Uh... We might be we might be making history right now. Um, no, it's I, I'm not. Well, and the, and the other sad part I heard was on one radio show is Urban Meyer might take a year off and then come your way to your to your to other USC to USC. Yeah, yeah, I heard that too. He's Honestly, following you. You know, I think I think I think it's I love Urban Meyer for what he's done for the program. You know, obviously, really. With what happened at the beginning of the year, with that whole, you know, the whole uh, controversy with the whole abuse thing, you know, right. I think really kind of put a lot of. You know, you look at the guy on the sidelines, and it's clear that his health, like something, is going on. Right. You know, I, unless he's like the, the best actor, you know, it's like it's clear that the the stress of running a program at that level and being, you know, under that microscope constantly is really taking its toll on him. I I honestly would be very surprised if he comes back to Ohio State next year. I highly doubt it. It just seems to me like it seems to me like it's 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 kind of doing the same thing that happened at, at University of Florida, right? Where he had all yeah. these heart problems and he I'm retiring. Um and that was year six there or year six here. Um same thing is kinda happening. He's got these these problems and yeah I wouldn't be surprised if he goes into another retirement and you know USC just renewed its coach which I found highly questionable. Um because maybe they know something we don't maybe they know okay we're gonna do the Urban Meyer, you know, two year holdout plan. Right. You know, and then bring them out there, you know, which well, very well could happen. Well, I guess part of the reason why I brought up uh, Ohio State is, or the Ohio State. <laughs> the Ohio State. Yeah, don't, don't, don't get it wrong. You got to come correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you had done, you had done a video, a, a short video f- um, for the football program. It was what, for talking about their, the new that uniform? Was for, yeah, that was for Nike. That was for Nike. Yeah, that was actually for Nike. I did this whole um, pro combat line, which was basically uh, several schools were getting. It was Ohio State, I know Oregon State was one. Florida um, was one. There was a couple other big, Florida was one. Um, and it, mainly, I think it was, they were for the rivalry games um, that they would wear um, these specialized uh, outfits that they had made specifically for these games. And um, interestingly, that was really kind of the first big film gig that I had. You know, up until that point, I was really doing everything. Um, I was doing everything kind of as a serious hobby. Um, my, my degree, my program that I was at at Ohio State, Ohio State actually doesn't have a proper film school there. They had a film studies program, um, but it, you know, it really wasn't a viable film curriculum. And so I was actually doing journalism and criminology as a dual major there. Oh, wow. Uh, in between. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, I was, I mean, I thought behind that, I was like, okay, well, I can make better village if I understand the <laughs> crime side. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So I was always kind of some way, somehow I had a foot and tell, okay, I want to use leverage this somehow into making movies. And um, I was doing all this stuff in between class, in between doing the side stuff. And one of the one of the professors there knew that I, you know, had the eye to do it. And he had a contact with a marketing group in New York. And he knew they were going to be coming out to um, Ohio State to do uh, basically looking for a local director to help shoot the, 
this Nike spec and he he recommended me to them and I did one short kind of test for them and they loved it and they brought me on to shoot that commercial spec that, that's in my reel and that's the one you can see online and uh, it, it was funny because that was like the first furious job I did for film and I was like that was the job that I could finally tell my parents like hey I want to be a filmmaker that I can actually make money you know doing it uh, up until that point I was worried to tell them I wanted to do this professionally because of course the question is well you know how are you going to how are you going to pay for your life you know the, how do you make money uh, making movies you know and then getting booked to work Nike doing what I love and uh, you know having a fun experience of working with a big client working with somewhat of a budget and then showing them hey I can actually sustain you know being artistic that is doable that is a thing you know was uh, was huge for me um, and that was a, my, my, really my first great opportunity well that's cool now yeah, yeah. I mean something like that do something for for the school that you went to and give back in such yeah. a, a great way yeah yeah no I mean, it was, it was, it was awesome. I would say we're all passionate about the material and um, you know it was like the, the objective of the job was easy enough to just make Ohio State look cool you know I was like okay I can do that <laughs> there's no dialogue or anything we're just literally come out here with these uniforms and just make a, a, a cool spec um, you know you don't really get much easier assignments than that <laughs> well that's cool yeah I guess not <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, I guess let's let's go a little bit more towards the geek side real quick as we come close to wrapping up sure um, sure favorite cartoons since cartoons aren't on the air on TV anymore favorite cartoon as a kid I know I know. Favorite cartoon as a kid. I mean, I remember me and my friend were addicted to the Batman, the animated series. Oh, um, great series. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. And that still holds up. You know, you can watch that now. Oh, yeah. This is just a great show. I, I, this is just yeah, a great anime. This is just a great show. I think, um, I, think you know, I, I have that tied. Uh, Kevin Conroy and Bruce Keaton as the top two Batmans. Bruce Keaton? Oh, yeah. I mean, even, not Bruce Keaton, know, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> Where did I come up with Bruce? He's a hybrid. He's so good. He's a, cause he is Bruce. He was Bruce yeah, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Michael Keaton was Bruce Wayne. He still is Bruce Wayne for me. <laughs> he, was, no, he, was, he was great. He was great. But no, like, no, absolutely. Kevin Conway, he, he did a great, fantastic job. Um, you know, and it wasn't even live action. He's probably like one of the best Batman, you know, yeah, to, oh, to, to yeah, do yeah. the role. Um, Mark Hamill as the Joker you know that was legendary you know that that all oh, those yeah. voices kind of took that animation to um a level that i felt like was kind of wasted as being marketed as a kid show you know that could have easily been you know if you make a couple of things a little bit more hardcore that could have been on hbo remember hbo had that spawn show um that was right. yeah. great yeah remember that yeah, yeah. you know you, you batman could have fit right in that same block yeah you know i mean to me they're like both these great kind of mature um take on the characters. Um, uh, obviously, the X Men show was really big, yeah. you oh, know, yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, I think we all graduated to anime. Everybody hopped on the Dragon Ball Z train, and that oh, was yeah. <laughs> we were kind of lost in that space for a long time. And then you kind of realize, oh, okay, there's like real anime shows, um, like Cowboy Bebop, and yeah. um, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff, which still has a, a lot of influence on even the stuff, the way I direct some of my visual references. Um, you know, I still kind of <laughs> reference back to to those frames that I. Saw from those some of those animes. I, I, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna have to admit, even as an adult, uh, lo- I loved the yeah. Saturday morning cartoons. But um, yeah, of course. <laughs> but with, with the anime style, I yeah. I was really into Yu Gi Oh. I don't know. I don't know why. Oh. But... <laughs> <laughs> that was one. You know what? For some reason, I was 
Apparently, that was one I could get into. For some reason, I do not know why. That was the one that I could I could get into Digimon. For some reason, I could Digimon get into I Digimon, but I couldn't get into <laughs> I love Digimon. For some reason, I could not. There was something yeah. about that show. I don't know. There was always a card that, like, trumped the other card. And I was like, where does it end? <laughs> <laughs> they were they Where were all pale it? imitations of Pokemon, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you guys know that the was... Pokemon movies coming out now with uh, with uh, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah, uh, basically, that is yeah. crazy. Uh, it, seems, it seems odd. <laughs> I can't wait for it. Yeah, it's it's a. <laughs> I I look at it. It it looks cool, but like I don't, I don't. It, it'll be interesting to see how that how they how they pull that off. Yeah, you know when it comes yeah. out. Also, it felt like it came out. Of, I wasn't expecting it to. Look, for some reason. I, I they were making that movie, but I didn't expect it to look like that. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, this is, okay. That that okay. definitely came out of left field. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, that's like, that's like um, the, the live action Lion King that they're doing. Yeah. It yes, is, which looks awesome, but is it necessary? Because it's basically it's, yeah, just an animated it's, version. Uh, and they even have James Earl Jones doing Mufasa again. It's going to be the same thing, though, with Mulan and Dumbo and, and Aladdin, right. too. Right. It's in, and, interesting, and it is, but odd. came out last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I just don't understand why mm-hmm. why Disney is, is going that route of, oh, let, let's take our animated classics and let's make live action. Action films. This is like it's like the classic case of like at this point I guess they're like triple dipping into the their profits because they know people are gonna go see it, right? Yeah, like, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you know, they're like you know people, you know the the, the the kids who grew up and the kids of the kids who grew up watching that. You now there's kind of this new generation of you know kids who haven't seen those, and you know now this is gonna be their introduction. And it, I mean, like let's be honest, it's the perfect it's the perfect money scheme for Disney because now they've got the new one coming out. They can do a re-release of the old one. The parents right. want to show the kids the old one, and then take them to go see the new one. It's like you know, it's it's like too easy. Yeah, it's yeah. too easy for them. Yeah, and then at see, some we need point to get to, we need to get together and create something where we can make something where it's an animated. We do a live action. We do the claymation. We do the you know all the different versions. And there we go. We'll, we'll be set for life. Well, since, well, since, talking, yeah. since, since you have a minor in criminology, I say. Oh yeah. I say let's let's do I think one of the most underrated but great Batman stories ever. Run Riddler Run. And which one is that? Run oh, Riddler yes. Run. Oh yes. Let's bring oh, that yes. to let's so bring that to that's, screen. That's fantastic. I'm down. I'm down. You find you find the money, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> you call call me up. Keep my number on feed. Dial. I am there. I am there. I think that's 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 brilliant. That's I mean, brilliant. That, that was a great three issue run, three issue mini, mm-hmm. and, it, and it was a brilliant story that could make a great yeah. or one off movie, animated, live oh, action, absolutely. whatever. Absolutely. Now, there's so many great. Um, there's so many great runs in in that in that universe. That which is which is what makes it more frustrating when we see stuff like um, you know how Batman starting on like the Justice League movies and mm. um, you know things like it's like there's so much great material. It's like it's not that hard to make him a good character. Yeah, you know it's you like you don't think, even have to yeah. reinvent the wheel. You know yeah. like, these people are literally being paid hundreds of millions of dollars to somehow screw up a character that's unscrewable. It's baffling. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's baffling. <laughs> it's, it's because they all think. 
they all think they have their own way to do it, and you know, it's don't mess right. with it. Just <laughs> yeah, just 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 go with the, the the blueprint is there. Just you know, we we that's what we want to see. You know, we want to see kind of these great stories, you know, come to life. Um, and I think there's a lot of like not even just with that character. I just think in general, there's a lot of you know, Marvel seems to have kind of sort of hit a formula um, that's working for them. Um, but there's so many great stories um, that are told. You know, that was one of the things that gravitated me to towards doing that Constantine, that John Constantine fan film, mm. is um, there's so many great stories in the Hellblazer universe uh, yeah. that are just oh, yeah. real, it's just, it's just really good storytelling. It's not even about the comic book character. It's just really great uh, character-driven uh, tales that I just think there's so much to play with. Um, you know, and, and, and especially since graphic novels, they've become more mainstream over the years. Right. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's not like an every household thing. So a lot of people aren't exposed to those stories. Um, right. They could be easily exposed to it through mainstream movies, TV, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. There's a lot to play with. Well, I, I, I think mm-hmm. if DC and Warner Brothers took their formula that they have for their animated and carried it over to yeah. uh, to their live action, I think they would yeah. be a better, a bigger player in the game. Oh yeah, they'd be, they so. would be in a lot better shape. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Oh, um, so, um, so speaking, speaking of the the Hellblazer um, short that you did, what did you think of the uh, the Constantine TV show? You know, of course, I'm going to be biased, and I'm going to think we did a better job. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, you know, I'm not with, with our with our small, much, 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 much smaller budget. Um, <laughs> his wardrobe budget was probably, you know, just for one character was probably the budget for our entire short. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, I, 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 I thought I thought they did a noble job with it. I, I always really thought, you know, kind of going back to the whole HBL thing. I really thought, you know, that that's a really mature. Um, character. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, right. And you can't, in order to do one justice, you can't, you know, you can't do the Disney version of that character. If you're going to do John Constantine, you really got to explore all these dark themes um, right. that make that character work, you know, and, and there's a certain restriction you have, right? When you're going to be on Fox on primetime uh, TV at night that you just can't, you just can't do. Um, right. I was surprised that it ended as soon as it did. But I think I only yeah. Yeah. Like what, two seasons? Not even. Like I think it just. I think only one, lasted yeah. one. Just, just the one. Yeah, just the yeah. one. Right. And I, and I think they brought the character back now for yeah. like, Legend of uh, Tomorrow. Right, right. So, and again, I mean, that's cool that he's there, but is that the best way to use that character? I mean, probably not. You know, I right. think it's um, you know, it's he's a he needs to kind of be on a platform where it's not going to be constrained uh, by the restrictions of of what you have to you know do for the PG thirty. Teen crowd, and I'm usually not the guy that says oh, this movie needs to be rated or referred to be good, um, because I think you can do great storytelling without having to do, um, you know, just blood and guts and curse words. But I, I, I think that particular character, the the the, the, the stories that you want to tell are very mature, you know, right. and it yeah, make, it darker themes. And... Yeah, yeah, it takes him out of just being a regular comic book hero. He's he's really kind of this occult detective. Um, right. And you want to see them in these in these in these crazy situations. So, right. so we'll see. Maybe they'll give the character another go around. You know, one of these days. Yeah, maybe. Where can people yeah. find you on the internet? 
Uh, they can find me all over the place. I'm, uh, I got my own website, uh, harrylock4.com, the number four, not the Roman numeral at that time, harrylock4.com. Um, they can also find me on Facebook, harrylock4, and they can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is SoCal underscore Hal. Feel free to reach out. I love hearing from people. Awesome. I know, I know I got to get us caught up, connected with you on most oh, yeah. of that as well. It'll happen. Yeah. Um, I guess before we go, any final thoughts from anyone? I'm just thankful for being here. Thanks for having me here. Oh, it was our pleasure. Happy to be a part of the party. It was our pleasure having you on, and can't can't so, wait uh, to can't wait to have you talk all Marvel with us over on Mighty Marvel Geeks. Oh, that's 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 awesome. Yeah. Very glad to be a part of that. So, and, so uh, one last time, uh, when the movie comes out. Uh, December 4th, EOD, that's, uh, it's going to be on Amazon, iTunes, Xbox, Google, and a multitude of other platforms, but definitely those main ones I just listed. And then January 1st, 2019, New Year's Day, physical DVD in major retailers as well as Redbox. Awesome. Excellent. And un- until next time. Want to know more? Until <laughs> So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production.